Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it's good to be back. Um, I, I know guys will have noticed that we haven't had a podcast in, hey, we were just talking probably five weeks, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Now. Yeah. Um, so we've had, uh, I, I was away uh, in California for a couple of weeks, and then you were away doing something small like driving all over the planet. Um, I was away um, being away from anywhere but California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. I went to California, and you went away from California. I, yep. So, but it's really good to be back, and I think we've got a really um, good topic to come back to. And so, um, Sam actually uh, wrote into us and asked us if we would do a podcast on renewing the mind. And I thought, man, that's a really uh, good topic to do. I've yeah. been meaning to do it for a while. And then um, after this, we'll we've got several uh, other good things lined up in in the near future here. So we'll have a lot of good topics come out. But let's jump into Romans twelve. So this is where Paul um, brings up well one of the places you know um, the renewing the mind. But this was the passage in question. And let me just start by uh, reading that. Let me get there real quick. Romans twelve. If guys are you know have a Bible in hand, you can go ahead and turn there. So I'll read one and two. So Paul writing to the Romans says, therefore I exhort you brothers by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so this is a passage that often gets brought up. I think pastors talk about having your mind renewed probably fairly frequently um, in sermons. You know, Christians talk about it. Uh, we don't always talk about exactly what that means. We don't always talk about how that happens. Um, you know, what's is this something that um, God does alone? Uh, is it something that we do? Is it something that happens, you know, uh, in, in sort of a, a syncretistic, uh, synergistic rather fashion? Um, all of those kind of details. And then the question was really kind of how verse three fits into this. And we'll just kind of cover the broad range of things. But I think as we get started, it'd be helpful to sort of maybe have an overview um, of Romans, if you want to kind of give that to us, Eki, and then I'll kind of break down this particular chapter for us. So we know Paul's writing to the Romans, but tell us a little bit more about this book. What's going on? What's the purpose? That kind of thing. Yeah, so we know Romans is a unique letter because Paul is writing a congregation that he has actually not met yet. Um, he makes that clear. He, he's been wanting to visit them. He has not had the chance to visit them. And uh, he doesn't have any real specific issues. Uh, he does mention some things towards the end of Romans, but this is not like he's writing to the church at Corinth where there's a number of issues that need to be addressed right off the top. And so Romans is one of these great letters where Paul really just unpacks the gospel 
in a level of depth that is unprecedented anywhere else uh, in the Bible. And so he opens up uh, really chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. He talks about his purpose for, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? It is the power of of God for salvation. And you see that Paul will emphasize over and over again the righteousness of God throughout um, throughout those first um, several chapters. And so from chapter one to three, he's establishing the depravity of man and how we are um, we are unrighteous before God. We will not find any kind of justification, not by works or deeds or anything like that. And then uh, in chapters uh, chapter three at the end, verses 21 to 26, he talks about the justification by faith. And then chapters uh, four, five, six, uh, he gets into not only Abraham as an example of righteousness in his action, but also talks about um, the sin uh, nature that's within us and how we are no longer to be slaves of sin, but uh, we are now slaves of righteousness. You find that in chapter six. Um, chapter seven uh, continues with that uh, similar theme. In chapter eight, you get into really the blessings of the Christian life uh, in the spirit. It culminates at the end of chapter eight. Um, with uh, a stunning set of verses where Paul just takes us up high and affirms to us in no uncertain terms that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And then from 9 to 11, Paul is addressing the situation with Israel. If um, these promises for Christians uh, can be counted upon, that we know that God will never turn back on them, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, how do we go about and explain what has happened to Israel? And Paul unpacks that from 9, 10, and 11. That's really kind of um, Paul's way of addressing the Jews, that their situation in light of the gospel that he has unpacked in the, over the first eight chapters. And then as we get to chapter 12, now Paul finally gets to application. Um, he's going to unpack application from chapter 12 to the really to the rest of the book of Romans on to chapter 16. And often when Paul opens up with theology and then goes into application, the first um, set of commandments he gives is really kind of the overarching commandments. Uh, the, the, these are the central commandments for the book that every other commandment kind of falls under underneath. And I believe that is the case for Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so to really understand this, at least as Paul means it in the book of Romans, I think you wouldn't want to stop at chapter 12, but you want to read all the way through to the end of uh, of the book of Romans. And so these are indeed very important commandments to us, that, that opening set, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. Um, I would say that this is at the center of Christian living. This is what every Christian ought to strive um, to, to, to live up to, to make sure that their living and their sacrifice reflects the wisdom that, that is here in these two verses. Yeah, and that's a lot of good information, Eki. And I think that's, but this is Paul's pattern, right? I mean, I mean, if you think about the yeah. Pauline epistles, um, Paul, in, in most cases, spends the first few chapters in theology, as you've said, and then he kind of moves into the practical realm, right? So he gives us yeah. the the rich, deep theology and says, okay, well, now this is what you do with this. This is how you're to live in light of these things. We see it in Ephesians and other places, um, you know, in Ephesians, the first three chapters are doctrine, and then the preceding chapters are he gets into practical practical application. So, and and then he and then he sets up. So here we come to Romans twelve, and we get this verse in one and two, which is really just kind of his introduction and sort of the the kind of point, right? This is the the ultimate desire, as you've said. Um, in in that the Christian is to be renewed, no longer conforming to the world, 
um, but rather to look like Christ. And then everything he's going to give after that um, are sort of examples, uh, not necessarily examples of how to do that. But if you kind of think back to, um, you know, in in Ephesians, it was chapter four or five, Paul says, talks about walking um, a, a spirit filled life. And then he gives all these examples of not necessarily how, but what a spirit filled life looks like. Um, you know, believers submit one to another, husbands, um, you know, wives to husbands, children to family, how we relate to each other and so forth and so on. So that's kind of the same thing he's doing here, right? So he says, um, be be renewed, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And he's going to give us a whole, um, uh, a whole bunch of examples of what a person who's living a transformed life is to look like. Right, how we interact, and so that's kind of how the chapters broken down. And I, I think you can. So you've got verses one and two, and then you've got three through probably eight, um, where Paul's yeah. dealing specifically with kind of the Christian life in the church. And then you've got yeah. the rest of this chapter where he's sort of dealing with how Christians relate to those in the church as well as those in the world. And so that's kind of the the simplistic breakdown. Um, if you were to look at Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, he I, I haven't looked. He probably has fifteen sermons on each word in this <laughs> yeah. passage. Um, fourteen I, I volumes said from I think it's for yeah fourteen volumes on on the Book of Romans, and having read through it, uh, he'll sometimes park on a verse and and do several sermons from it. Yeah, I know. Uh, in in Ephesians, there were a couple single verses where he had like I don't know. Um, yeah, eight right. or nine different sermons. I mean, right. that's not exaggerating. He he can uh, parse words like no one I've ever seen. But um, for those of us who are uh, less gifted than Martin Lloyd Jones, um, I just break this up into three parts, really. And so, so yeah, that's, that's what Paul's that's, doing. That's here. all of us who are less gifted. Yeah, all all of us are less gifted. <laughs> yeah. Just about. <laughs> I think the apostle yeah, Paul yeah. might might rank higher, but not much higher. <laughs> yeah, there are a few exceptions, and so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think the reason why, if you've heard teaching on renewing your mind, you, you may not hear verses specifically um, after this talk about that. It's because it's meant to be understood that Paul's now describing really the nature and character of any person who then has this renewed mind. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you go on through, we won't read the whole chapter, but just for instance, um, you know, go down to verse nine. He says, let love be without hypocrisy we should hate what's evil we should cling to what's good we should be devoted to one another and brotherly love we should give preference to one another uh and he go, just goes on and on and on and what you start to see is a character that's very different from the character of people in the world um and, yeah. and so he's kind of describing that uh, type type of uh, of lifestyle so let's talk a little bit about i mean he's saying be renewed in in your mind what, what's he thinking. I mean, obviously he's sort of giving us a distinction here, right? Between two groups of people, people who are and people who aren't. But talk to us a little bit more about what it means to be just to have your mind renewed. What's the expectation of someone with a renewed mind? Right. Yeah. And and, um, this reminds me very similar wording in Ephesians chapter four as well. Chapter four, verse 23 says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And when we think about the life of Jesus Christ, and I think specifically of chapters 14 through 16, 
when he's with his disciples before he's going to get arrested, before he lifts up his high priestly prayer, he tells them to expect uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit and describes in several different ways what the ministry of the Spirit is, that the Spirit will guide you into all truth, um, that uh, the, the Spirit uh, will, will strengthen you and, and will help you and, and all that. And so we know the Spirit um, is used to help the disciples not only remember all the things that Jesus uh, had said, but also to guide them truth, and that is the commissioning that we uh, of the New Testament that we have before us today in all of the New Testament. So the renewing of the mind, and, and I, I think of John chapter 8, verse, I, I believe, 31, when he said, if you are my, my disciples, you will continue in my word, and the word shall set you free. So the renewal of the mind is, is based upon our understanding and our continued consumption of the word. Matthew 4, 4, uh, Jesus told Satan that man shall not live on bread alone, but every every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus Christ himself being God in human flesh, the book of John makes that crystal clear. And so when we look at this verse once again, and, and just starting once again in verse 1, um, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, living and holy and pleasing to God. So our sacrifices are not like the sacrifices of the Old Testament where they brought dead animals. Our sacrifice is a living sacrifice. It's through it's through our life. It's through how we live out our lives. And so that leads into, uh, at the first one, we see the spiritual service of worship, and that leads into verse two, do not be conformed to this world. So we have a contrast. Rather than being conformed to this world, you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there are so many places where we see Paul making this kind of contrast. Ephesians chapter two talks about how you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you walked after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of the air. And he said, in which uh, we too all followed after the lust of our flesh and of the mind. So that is how the world operates, but we are not to operate as the world. So we cannot be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed. And this is the Christian life. From the time that we are saved, we are given, uh, we, we are sanctified by God, meaning we are set apart for his purposes. He gives us, um, he gives us a renewed heart, a regenerated heart. Um, that allows us to respond in faith. We have the work of the Holy Spirit working within us, within us to illuminate our hearts and our minds to the text. And so core to being transformed is to have the work of the Holy Spirit continuing to work within us to understand his words as given uh, through the Bible. That is the secret to not being conformed to the world, but rather being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is now it is now unlearning a lot of things that we thought were true, learning what is true, adopting a completely different worldview, um, understanding truth as God has provided to us in Scripture. So it has to start with the Bible. It has to start with our devotion in reading and studying, memorizing Scripture, meditating uh, upon verses, uh, really adopting uh, what um, what the Word of God says. Um, I think of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus uh, gives us an example of prayer to, to God. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, but as we continue to grow, we will better understand um, not only the kingdom of God, but also the will of God and, and how that's going to play out, both through his sovereign purposes, but also through his commanded will to us, um, knowing what God wants and following in those footsteps. And in fact, and I'm kind of running in a lot of different directions here, but it, from John chapters 14, 15 through 16, and that's still fresh in my mind because I preached through it. Um, Jesus says multiple times to pray in his name, pray things in his name, and it will be granted to you. Well, what does that mean? Well, to pray things in his name is to pray for the things that Jesus Christ himself would pray for, to pray in a way that is consistent with the will and purpose and character uh, of Jesus Christ. That is to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And so 
We can't do that unless our mind is being renewed to understand, to, to continue to grow in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, um, what, how he operated, uh, his will and his purpose, his character, his attributes, because we are to be imitators of Christ. We are not messiahs. I'm not saying that. We are not Christ, but we are to be imitators of Christ, and that's the whole idea of being a disciple. So to be to to renew our mind is to be continually in the scriptures, to be meditating, to study the scriptures, to make sure that what we read um, results in changed actions. Um, so that's where I would start with the renewal of the mind. Yeah, well, we can just end the podcast now. That was really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, this is such a good subject, and I think it's, I mean, it's always pertinent. I, I think it's especially pertinent uh, during you know, maybe more so in certain seasons of our own personal life where we become maybe a little more distracted by things of the world. Uh, certainly, there are periods of time in any given country where the world's just kind of pressing its way in on people and in the church. And it, this is a good passage to be reminded. I think, firstly, that there is a temptation to be conformed to the world, right? Yeah. I mean, he's saying, do not be conformed but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we we kind of see an implied struggle right in 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 the yeah. command there. Um you know 1 Peter uh 1:14 says as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts yeah. which were mm-hmm. yours in your ignorance. And so this is what what we're avoiding. We're avoiding the world's way of thinking, the world's lust, the world's mind you think back to Ephesians, you know, what, how, how does the world think? How does the world act? Well, you know, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. We know that. And then yeah. Paul goes on to tell us that their, their minds are darkened, their hearts are hardened yep. and that they yep. follow after not only the lust of the world, but the lust of their own flesh. Um, and, and so these are the things that the Christian has to be, I, I would say, not just aware of in a general sense, but intentionally guarded against. Because we do get so easily sucked into the things of this world, right? right. Um, if you think about, you know, how much um, television some people take in, right? Let, let's say, you know, I, I don't remember what the numbers are now, but if the average person, you know, is no. gets home from work 40 hours a week and still puts in their mind 20 hours of worldly television, right? It's going to be hard to not um, be influenced by whatever it is you're taking in from the world. And we know that what the world is offering in that um, isn't good. And so I think we just need to be very mindful. And so if we're talking about, all right, being renewed in your mind, what does that what does that kind of look like? I think simply it just looks like no longer being worldly. Um, yeah. Now that term gets tossed around a lot. What does it mean to be worldly? Well, it means we're not driven by the lusts of the world. We're not driven by the things that please the world. We're not driven by the things that the world loves, the things that the world cares about. Uh, We don't go to the world for morals, right? We don't go to the world for understanding humanity or sin or sin nature or suffering or even true joy. Um, You know, to be renewed in our minds means that when we look at people, when we look at the government, when we look at the church, when we look at the world and creation, we're looking at it from God's perspective rather than the the world's perspective. Yeah, um, and, and sure. if I can add this, uh, Ephesians, and and you um, you were alluded to this, Ephesians chapter four, 
I had quoted verse 23 to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, but I think it's helpful to go back to verse 17, and I'll read from verse 17 all the way to 24. Therefore, this I say in testifying the Lord, that you walk, and of course we know walk means to live out, no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. So to not be worldly is to not walk as the Gentiles, and Gentiles here is being used as a word to really refer to anyone that doesn't know Christ. So you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind. And so you see the word mind being repeated over and over again, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, because the hardness of their heart, and the heart is referring to the inner man, mind, uh, the, the inner man and the mind and the heart uh, in the spirit of man is often connected. Verse 19, and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, this is important. Paul then contrasts that with believers. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you heard him and were taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, to lay aside in reference to your former conduct the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man in the likeness of God, um, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we see a lot of parallel truths there that we are no longer walking like Gentiles who are um, walking according to the fertility of their mind, being darkened in their mind. Uh, we have learned Christ in a different way, that we are to lay aside the old self, which is corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Um, so just to bring Ephesians 4 back into view, um, I believe what Paul here is doing in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, is really a, a summary, a shortened way of saying what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. We see a lot of the same parallels just phrased in different ways. Yeah, I mean, Paul talks about this all throughout his epistles in some yeah. form or fashion. Anyway, Charles Spurgeon knew the reality of the necessity of being renewed really well. Um, it, it, he once said, if you profess to be a Christian, yet find full satisfaction in worldly pleasure, pleasures and pursuits, your profession is false. Um, words matter. Uh, he, he inserted the word full satisfaction there. Uh, because he wasn't wanting to say we get no joy in anything right. in this world. But if if we're perfectly content in worldly pleasures and pursuits, then there's something desperately missing, right, yeah. as, as a Christian. That should not be so for us. And so um, there's certainly lots of things we can enjoy. But when we talk about not being worldly, what we don't mean is to say, you know, you're, you're supposed to be some melancholy, um, you know, sad sap uh, where nothing is pleasurable or enjoyable. Um, right. That's that's not what is meant by that. We certainly we enjoy nature. We enjoy I mean, God created the planet and wants us to enjoy his creation, certainly. Yeah. But it, there should be a, a longing in the heart of a Christian that desires to see things the way God sees things. We see humanity different. Um, we see people differently. We see we understand governments differently. You know all those things because we're meant to have a renewed heavenly perspective. I mean, to put Spurgeon's quote a little more positively, we just could very simply say the Christian should only be fully satisfied with the things of the Lord, His yeah. Word, and His 
way in his will. And that kind of, I think, leads us to if that's how we're satisfied, if that's what it means to be renewed. And I think it's more of a simple concept than sometimes we make it. Uh, to be renewed just simply means you you see things the way Christ sees things. That's it. Yeah, right, um, right. And and then we, we understand that that's a process, right? Uh, when you first come to be a Christian, um, you 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 are still very worldly. And by the way, um, we all have parts of our life that are still probably worldly. That doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christian. Um, if I have a worldly area in my life, that doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. It just means that's an area in my life that's still needing to be renewed and trained by the Word of God. Um, and so we, we all have those bits and pieces uh, in, in our life. And so um, that's the point, that we aren't looking like the world. We aren't thinking like the world. Um, our heart is not with the world. It, you know, the psalmist in um, Psalm 1, in Psalm 1, really paints this picture beautifully. Um, in fact, let me just pull it up real quick here. Uh, Psalm 1 and 2 really kind of give like the whole theme of the book. But just listen to this, Psalm 1. Um, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer. And and here, that's important. Uh, so we're talking about the way of the righteous and the wicked. But then he gets to verse 2. But his delight... So who's his? His is, is the righteous man. His delight is in the law of Yahweh. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of river, which yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. I mean, this is the reason he's prosperous. And this, this kind of segues into, well, the, how do we renew our minds? Well, it's right here because he meditates on God's word day and night. And and that's just, it, you know, this is a very uh, poetic, illustrious picture of someone who is just in God's word all the time, right? Not yeah. every second of the day, but that's just a part of his lifestyle. And the reason he's in the word is important, by the way, um, because you can be a scholar who hates God, who builds his entire life yeah, around the right. word of God, and the thing that will be missing was the preceding verse, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And because we love God's word, we'll want to meditate on it. Um, and, and so if we were to talk about then kind of shifting to, well, then how do we renew our minds? How do we guard against being worldly, right? Um, there, there's a difference between, I think, what we would call a, a nominal or worldly Christian in in kind of describing someone who's not really a Christian, um, no. as opposed to just saying we have worldly things about us as Christians, that's just acknowledging that we're not perfect yet, right? Um, but how how do we become renewed in the mind? And you alluded to it earlier uh, at the very beginning, uh, and then of course this passage touch, touches on it. But where where do we go to get renewed? What does that look like? Yeah, that's uh, that, that's the word of God, and and I think it's it's worth uh, just looking at the second half of Romans twelve two. Um, I, I talked about the first: do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But we see the words so that, and people who are at my church know that I love <clears throat> using the words. I love pointing out these so that 
because it points uh, points to either purpose or result or sometimes both. And in this case, this is both a purpose and a result. Um, so you are to not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind for this purpose and result that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so we see right there in that purpose, the idea is that you should be able to approve what the will of God is. Well, the only way you can do that is to actually know what the will of God is. And you have to know the will of God by renewing your mind through the word. And the result is that you approve what the will of God is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I often talk about how we have to continue to grow in our theology, which is just another way of saying, continue to study the scriptures, continue to grow in your understanding of the scriptures. And as your theology grows, your discernment grows. And discernment, uh, very simply for the Christian, this is just discerning between that which is good and that which is not good. Or sometimes, and I think it was Spurgeon that said it is sometimes it's discerning between um, good or better or, or you know, perfect or almost perfect. Um, you know, sometimes there are gradations of of what is good and and trying to discern what is even better than that. So discernment comes from just soaking your mind in Scripture and growing in your theology. That's what leads you to be able to approve what the will of God is. That God is that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so we got to go to the Word. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to be studying the Word. We can't simply just read it as a task, as a chore. I think a, the mistake that a lot of Christians make is that they'll read it very passively. Um, they'll just read it to say that they've read the verses that were required for that day, but they're not taking any notes. They're not writing down any questions. They're not noting any observations. Um, but if you slow down and study it and, and really seek to understand what it's being said, and when you come across areas that are confusing or, or things that you don't understand that you write it down, you seek to do research, you go to um, elders or, or pastors at your church or go to other faithful men of God, um, go to some good commentaries, um, spend some time in it, re recognizing that um, each of us are, are still fallen men at best. Um, so you want to rely upon the Holy Spirit as you're going through the Word of God to illuminate your heart's heart and and to really think through not only what it means, but now how also it applies to to your life. So the Word of God, it is authoritative, it is sufficient, it is inerrant, it is inspired, it is here for our spiritual feeding. When Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the first part was about our physical sustenance, and we know that we need physical sustenance to continue. But the second part was about our spiritual sustenance, and it starts with the Word of God. And sometimes people will say that we're guilty of bibliolatry, which is to worship the Word of God rather than God himself. But I would suggest, and I know my, st my stance would be that it is impossible to worship the true God without a fuller understanding of his word, because his word explains who God is and what he expects of us. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's interesting. You, you bring that, that up about, um, it, you know, being labeled a biblicist or whatever terminology people yeah. are using today. Um, in most cases I, I would be that, uh, and I would happily claim the title. Um, here's the reality. You can't love the king and hate his decree. You can't yeah. you can't love the king and hate the letters he's written to you for life and practice. You can't love the king and despise um, what his messengers bring to you, right? And that's what the Bible is. I mean, the Bible is the 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 the, the breathed word of God to us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I I think so many people have. 
I, I think over the years started to view the Bible as something it's not, maybe more akin to um, a, a really good human work rather than what it is, right? The right. awe-inspired, God-breathed word. Um, and so when you open the Bible, we need to understand that it's the same as if God were to write you a letter and put it in your hand and say, I want you to read this, do this, live by this. No one would despise that. Um, but that's exactly what the Bible is. So th that was a good point there. Um, it, you know, I want to give people a, a passage that talks about, well, where does the Bible say it's it's the word that that washes us, that renews us? Um, and, and you have to do a little bit of, I think this is where we a good time to make the point that you can't just isolate one book from all the other books of the Bible. You can't isolate one yeah. passage from all the other teachings in Scripture. This is these kinds of things are where a good systematic theology is helpful um, because you're asking the question really, what does the whole Bible teach about how yeah. we're renewed, right? And so it, it, you can't necessarily say, well, give me the single verse that teaches this or that. Sometimes you got to ask the question, what does the whole Bible teach about this? What right. are the implications? What are the you know, and, and applications and so forth. Since we've been in Ephesians, if you go back to Ephesians 5, just listen to this. Um, and, and this would be one appropriate application because it's a theological truth. Um, in verse 25, Paul has just finished talking about living the spirit-filled life. And now he's giving examples of how that plays out in different relationships. Yeah. Um, and he gets to husbands and wives. In 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. And, and here's where I want us to pay attention. How does he sanctify her? How does a husband sanctify his wife? Because a husband does, in fact, sanctify his wife. But how is important? Uh, the second phrase here, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Yeah. So it's not the husband it's the word that does it. It's yeah, the washing right. of the word that sanctifies people. So this is a principle, right? It, it's it's not the passage's primary focus, but it's an applicable principle to all people. Um, it, the reason the husband can sanctify and cleanse his wife is not because he has any authority at all, not because he's special or better or, or any of that. He has the responsibility as the head of the household but the way in which he does that is by bringing the word of God to her. Um, yeah. and, and so this is true for us. How are we washed? How are we cleansed? How are we sanctified? The same way, by the washing of the water of the word. Um, and that's how we're renewed. And that's why it is so important to be in the word of, of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that does this. And so maybe let's just talk for a second um, about the dynamic, because I think people can fall in two kind of major ditches here. And you've mentioned one, uh, people can kind of view the Bible as, well, you know, that's legalistic. Um, it's the Holy spirit who renews us. And that's true. That's true. It is the Holy spirit who has the function of doing this work. Um, but, but how does he do it? Well, he does it through means, um, it, we can't just sit in our living room or go out into the desert, like the early desert fathers, as we call them, um, and sit on a pole for 50 years and just soak up all this uh, heavenly wisdom that gets, to use a charismatic term, 
miraculously downloaded into our brain. No, that's mm-hmm. not the case. Jesus didn't even promise that to the apostles then and the early disciples. No, what did he say the Holy Spirit's role with? And again, role is, and this is again, words matter to bring to remembrance. Yeah. Well, to remember saying. something implies you knew it to begin with, right? You can't remember what you never knew. Um, and, and so we've got to be in, in, in the word. And so there's this syncretistic thing that happens in our renewing or in our sanctification, right? As we read the word because we love the word and seek to obey the word simultaneously, the Holy Spirit is using that to transform us, to conform us in greater measure to the image of Christ rather than in, in the world. And so both, both parties are at work in some way. You have to be obedient to be in the word. Um, and then the Holy Spirit uses his own word to, to renew us and to make us more like Christ. I, any, any thoughts or additions to that? No, that's um, that, that's good. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 9, verse 26 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Jesus makes very clear on multiple occasions that he and his words, they're a package deal, right? Uh, you, you can't separate one from the other. So you, you've got to... You've got to commune with God, uh, grow in your understanding of God's will and purpose through his word. That's, again, John chapter 8, verse 31. Um, If you are my disciples, you will continue in the word, and the word shall set you free. And what he's saying there is that if you are my disciples, and at that point, he's addressing a lot of people. Some of them are not his disciples. says, if you are my disciples, then this is what you will do. You will continue my word and the word will set you free. So the word is our foundation. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, the noble Bereans did not take Paul at his word, but they eagerly received everything, but searched the scriptures to see if these things were really so. so. And the Ephesians 6, the armor of God, um, the word is presented as the sword of the spirit. This is um, this is our weapon. This is um, our weapon for spiritual warfare, and this is the only weapon that we have for spiritual warfare. Is His Word as strengthened by His Spirit working within us as we walk in obedience with God? Yeah, and it, I mean, just go back to Jesus's own earthly ministry, even before. I mean, look at Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. I, I mean, I I love that God gives us that because if the Son of God who was God himself, right, Um, defends himself against the attack of Satan in a certain way, you would want to pay attention to that. And, of course, we've talked about this before, but the way he defends himself against the attack of Satan, a very real personal attack, um, Satan in person, as it were, was to quote Scripture. And I would add, that we have to go further than that because it wasn't that he quoted scripture. There were two other major components to that. Um, we often just leave it at that. You need to know scripture because Satan quoted scripture. No, I mean, because Jesus quoted scripture. Well, he didn't just quote scripture. There were two other pieces to that. And the other pieces are simply this. Before he could ever quote scripture, he had to know the scriptures mm-hmm. and all yeah. of the scriptures. And then before he could combat an attack of the enemy, not only did he have to know the scriptures, but he also had to know the context of those scriptures, Yeah, which is right. a, a big deal, right? Um, and so yeah, let, me, if, let me add to that real yeah, quick, because Satan, 
Satan quotes scripture. Satan knows scripture probably better than any of us. And he not only, Jesus Christ not only had to know the scripture and quote the scripture, but he had to discern the wrong application of scripture by Satan, which is for us, that's the example that we need to follow. We need to be able to discern when people are taking scripture out of context. And false teachers do this often uh, a lot. And I would say that false teachers, the more dangerous ones, are actually quite faithful to the word most of the time. Um, the more faithful they are to the the word, the more dangerous they are, because we tend to think that uh, they can be trusted. But we have to examine everything. And so false teachers will will often give a lot of truth and then twist that truth at strategic points in order to bring about um, his uh, his or her own, own agenda. So yeah, not only knowing the scripture and quoting the scripture, but be able to discern when scripture is being and knowing the right scripture to combat that. You're, you're right. Jesus Christ, as an example to us, he didn't rely upon his uh, his godly power, um, didn't rely upon some hidden knowledge, didn't just send Satan away. What he did is he relied upon the thing that is provided to each and every believer, and that is the word of God. Yeah. And you make a good point about false teachers. And I think something we need to remember is um, false teachers often don't come into the church um with horns and a flaming pitchfork and solid yeah. red. Like they don't come in waving, Hey, I'm a false teacher. I'm a false teacher. I think sometimes uh, when we hear, you know, you, you say things like that or other pastors talk about those dangers, we think, Oh, well, they'll be so obvious, but that's just simply not true. Often cases. I mean, the whole book of Jude was written to warn against false teachers who weren't obvious. Right. In yeah. fact, he says in verse four, that they have crept in unnoticed. Yes. Um, and, and so they're in the body of Christ. And just think about it. We we know that the tares grow with the wheat, right, inside the, the, the church. And so uh, we've really got to know the scriptures if we're to be renewed um, in, in our minds. And if we're going to guard ourselves against, you know, false teachings, false doctrines, um, you know, so it's incredibly important that we have a high view of scripture. And, you know, I, again, I just, you just keep going back to Jesus. Was Jesus a biblicist? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, yeah. he wrote the book, you know, he wrote the book and then he quoted the book, right. Yes, to overcome did. the temptation in the wilderness. So I think that's yep. good for us too. And, uh, you know, there are so many other passages that, that teach us either by implication in the passage or, um, a theological truth that we can pull out of the passage, rightfully so, uh, that talk about being in the Word of God. The psalmist, I mean, all through the Psalms, we see references to this, right? Um, Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth, right? He needs to know his way so that he can walk in truth. Um, you know, Second Timothy uh, it's two or three, um, all scripture is breathed out by God. Yeah. Things, chapter yeah, three, 16, all scriptures breathe out by God, good for reproof or correction, so that the man of God may be adequate. And the word there, adequate, it really means complete, not lacking anything. Right. Um, right. Again, that's the result of the word of God in our lives. Hebrews 4 um, talks about how the word is living and active and sharper than any yeah. two-edged sword. Uh, Psalm 19. I mean, Psalm 19 gives, um, I was, I think, six different synonyms for the word of God, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it talks about how 
um, you know, the, 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 the statutes of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And then they all have results. They make us perfect. They cleanse us. They make us pure They're You know, you can go through and, and look at that. And so over yep. and over the testimony of scripture is that if you're going to live like Christ, if you're going to be like Christ, if you're going to think like Christ, you have to know the word of Christ. Um, yeah. and, and that's really what we're talking about. And so that's, you know, in, in a simple way, that's what it means to be renewed. And so it really is as simple, and I'm not using the word easy on purpose because it is a battle, yeah. right? It yeah. really is as simple as if you want to be renewed, if you want to be like Christ, be in the word of God regularly, because that is what the Holy Spirit uses to change us and transform us. As not as not only we just read, but then we strive to obey that, right? We've got to read it and and then desire uh, to live by it. If we're just reading it because it's a, you know, we feel like it's some religious sort of duty and there's no heart behind wanting to live, live it out, then you're, that really is just a religious exercise. Um, but if we're reading it because we delight in it and we're seeking to obey it, that's how God renews us. And it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, the Word of God uh, cleanses us; it renews us; it transforms us. And God's uh, will and purpose for us, He predestined us to become conformed to the image of His Son. That is a lifelong process, and it happens through the Word. Yeah. Well, Amen. Well, with, with that, we'll end this episode. But I want to let guys know on this episode, we've been gone for a few weeks. There's been some stuff happening. Um, th this is just like a little tease here happening behind the scenes with, I don't know, four five, six, six guys, I think, um, that have to do with truth be known, um, ministries. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Cause we put out the little graphic here and there. Um, so you'll want to keep an eye on that. I think we're going to do some stuff publicly here, make some announcements pretty soon. I think it's going to be stuff that's going to be very beneficial um, for the people in our churches and for the body of Christ in general. So if you aren't following us on uh, YouTube, you can go do that. Um, to be honest, I'm not good with tech stuff. I can't even remember the handle at the moment, but I think it's truth be known. Um, so look us up on YouTube, subscribe, hit the follow button. If you aren't subscribed to the podcast, please do that. You'll start seeing a lot of other guys joining us on the podcast as we sort of um, – expose the stuff that we're going to be doing. And we're going to have a massive, massive book giveaway coming up soon. Uh, if you're watching the video, well, I hope you can't really tell what all this big stack of books is here behind me, but someone's going to get that and a few more. And there's some really good stuff in there. So um, we hope that this has been beneficial to you. We really just want to encourage you guys along with ourselves to love the word of God and to be in the word of God and let the Holy Spirit change you um, through the word of God. And so hope this is helpful. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.